Oh dear. Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Coding Podcast, the show where we discuss everything there is to know about app development. I'm your host, Rob J, and in this episode, I speak with app development studio founder, Adadeo Omasanya. We talk about starting a development studio, hiring the right people, finding your first clients, working with clients, and much, much more. Now onto the show. So just a little bit of housekeeping before we get into today's episode. If you haven't already joined the Coffee Encoding Slack or you didn't know that existed, there is a Coffee Encoding Slack and you can find that at coffeeencodingpod.com slash slack. And if you go there, you'll see the new page that I've set up so you can enter your email address so I can invite you to the Slack community instead of previously where we had a, a link that invited you directly to the Slack community but also expired every 30 days and was a pain to update And you'll also get to help me test out my new static website function where when you now sign up for Slack on the website and you input your email address, it will take your email address and insert it into a Google spreadsheet because I'm super low budget and I do not pay for hosting. So, you know, there's that. Secondly, so 2021 is coming up. I've got a bunch of podcast episodes on the books that I think you guys are really going to enjoy that will be coming out in the next few weeks. But I'm really interested to hear about topic ideas that people have for episodes that they'd like to hear me speak on or hear me have guests on, or maybe you have particular guests that you would like to hear on the show. So if you do have any ideas for topics or ideas for guests or anything else really in relation to the show and what you would like to hear, then please um, let me know and you can do so by emailing me directly at rob at coffeeencodingpod.com. I respond to all my emails. So if you do send me an email and you don't get a response, it's because I set up my G Suite wrong, in which case, you know, ping me on Twitter or LinkedIn or something like that. But hopefully it should be pretty good. And then thirdly, about today's episode. So I normally record my podcast episodes on Squadcast, which is a, it's a startup, I think, but it's a pretty cool platform. It lets you record podcast interviews audio only, but you can obviously see each other while you record and it records audio on both sides of the conversation on both people's computers. So you get an unfiltered, uncompressed audio recording at the end which then I can turn into this nice audio that you hear right now. So when we recorded this interview all was going well there was a couple of times where it dropped out which normally works absolutely fine. Squadcast just keeps recording regardless of if somebody drops out of the conversation but in this one instance we got to the end of the conversation and Adadeo was like is it recording because on my screen it says it's not recording and then I looked at my screen and it said it wasn't recording and anyway so it turns out that this is the one time that Squadcast actually hasn't worked out well for me and for whatever reason it stopped recording it only recorded like five minutes of my part of the conversation but they have backup recordings which is the compressed audio that we both hear while we're recording through the video call so I managed to salvage this conversation from that. So the audio is, is pretty good. It's not the best quality that you've ever heard, but it's also not terrible. And it's definitely better than some of the Zoom calls that I've done. So if you find the audio lacking, then that would be the reason. I would also say, so normally when I have conversations with people, it's like I try and be engaging during the conversation. So it's not just silence. So while on the podcast, you'll hear me ask a question or me say something, And then you'll hear the guest say something and it sounds like this back and forth in real life. It's like a real life conversation where they'll be saying something. And while they're talking, I'll be saying, you know, yes, okay, exactly, blah, 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 whatever. And I edit all that out afterwards. But in this case, you'll hear me saying yes occasionally or agreeing or saying, okay, 
or mm-hmm or any of those kind of things because it was the raw audio from the video call and Adadeo had, I think he had me on loudspeaker, so his speakers picked me up saying that. So if you hear that, then that's also the reason why. I don't feel like anybody's going to care. I don't feel like any of you guys are listening to this thinking, oh, that's going to be terrible. I imagine I'm just wasting my time recording this right now, but I've done it. So anyways, there you go. So now onto my conversation with Adadeo. So then the first thing that I'm interested in, and I guess we can just take it from the start, is so you founded your your app studio in 2018. But prior to that, your LinkedIn says that you were an intern at Intel. You were an iOS and Android engineer. You've got Coder on there. So kind of what I'm interested in is can you take us on a brief journey from how you got into coding all the way up to starting your app studio just before you got to the point where you decided, right, I'm going to do my own app studio? So actually, um, the way I see it, I was quite fortunate because um, so during sixth form, my college actually offered um, software engineering. And I think a lot, of, a lot of others at that time didn't have that subject. So that was really my real first experience actually writing code in class would get various various challenges to solve and that sort of really got me excited about code and um yeah so that's kind of when it all started yeah as you can see on linkedin i do have various um you know i do have a lot of work history that's because um so i've always enjoyed really utilizing the skills that i'm learning so i always got involved in startups in hackathons and that sort of thing and um yeah so i went along that journey and um yeah so it wasn't until literally after uni so that was after um, the, the internship at Intel that, that, that you mentioned, that I really decided that, yeah, I want to go out on my own and actually do this full time. Because um, at that point, thinking back to, you know, all the experience that I'd had at that point, um, you know, in startups and in, in small and medium companies and in a large company at, at Intel, really just being honest with myself in terms of what I really enjoyed, it was more working in the smaller companies in startups than working in, in large companies like Intel. That was what basically led me to, you know, go out on my own and start my own app studio. Okay, nice. So I get that you like working with startups, right? Like me too, that's probably the most fun projects to work on because you never know where it's going to go and it's always something new. But what is the jump from, hey, I really like doing this stuff to an app studio as opposed to, hey, I'm going to become a freelancer and work with loads of different startups or, you know, something else? Like what? what's the reason that it has, not it has to be, but what's the reason why you decided I'm just going to start my own app studio rather than I'm just going to work for lots of different startups? So, so at heart, um, I am definitely um, an entrepreneur. So um, even throughout university, I created various startups, which in the end um, failed. But, you know, I, I really enjoyed that experience of, you know, building my own products and launching my own products. Yeah. Um, so so for, for me, you know, um, launching an app studio, although it's not a product, for me, it gave me that same thrill of, you know, building something from from scratch and, you know, taking it out there, taking it to market. That whole, that whole journey of building something from scratch. And I think that's a bit different to being a freelancer. So as a freelancer, you, you know, I guess you do have your personal brand, but it's not really the same as, you know, um, a company brand, at least in my eyes. Yeah, I gotcha. So, so you wanted to be, you're entrepreneurial and you want to work for startups. So this kind of works both ways, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. So then an app studio sounds super serious and it could be just you in a coffee shop and you're the whole thing, right? Or it could be, you know, what people's minds might go to, which is, you know, we work office and, you know, you've got five different employees and you've got an accounting team and stuff. So, so in practicality, you decide I want to start an app studio 
what does that look like? So you, you set up a company, maybe you get an accountant, I don't know, but like, can you walk us through kind of in practical terms, what does that actually look like? Yeah. So, so I mean, in my opinion, you know, being or starting an app studio can be anywhere on that scale you just mentioned. So, of course, when, when I first started, it, of course, was only me. Um, mm-hmm. I was the only developer, you know, hands on with, with all the code myself in various coffee shops. At times, okay. you know, I would just, just go overseas and, you know, work, work from abroad, that, that sort of, that sort of thing. Um, and so really, I would say to get started, all you need is that first customer or that first yeah. client. You know, once you do have a paying client, that of course does give you a lot of, a lot, a lot of freedom to kind of, you know, say that this is, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I do have a paying client to kind of, you know, give me that, that affirmation that the service I'm offering is wanted. And then from there, you know, it's kind of just taking up, um, onwards and upwards, you know, building more clients eventually hiring a team accountants like you mentioned just just you know um growing from there all right so then the golden question you start the app studio how do you find that first client <laughs> so, so actually um, um, again on my part i'll put that down to luck so um, okay. I, I mentioned that it was during sixth form that I actually got into you know writing code and um, yeah. you know because i really enjoyed it so much that was really really all i did so you know even during lunch breaks you know um i would be in a cafeteria sitting there, you know, writing code. So people kind of just always knew me as the person to go to if you wanted mm-hmm. anything that was that was code related. So it was actually um, a friend of mine. I believe it was something like his dad's friend. He owned a small company and was looking for, for someone to kind of, you know, to kind of train up to learn how to build apps for the iPad. Yeah, so he reached out to me, I believe, actually on Facebook. And we got talking and I, I basically immediately said yes. I wasn't getting paid a lot at all. But for, for me, that was really what I enjoyed doing and, I was just, just, I was just amazed and having a good time while doing it. So mm-hmm. I took it on, and uh, yeah, that was really my first, my first client. Okay, that's awesome. So then, from there, how does that kind of snowball? Because is it he, you know, refers you to someone else, or was it just like, is the next one also luck, or did it just give you more confidence to close a different client? Yeah. Um. So actually, for for a long time, I wasn't doing anything I'm doing now, um, such as you know, um, advertising or marketing. It was yeah. really only through word of mouth. I was quite fortunate. He kind of recommended me to other people who mm-hmm. wanted, wanted, wanted similar, um, similar things. I then, I then worked with them and, you know, I kind of just grew via my own personal brand. Um, mm-hmm. that's people knowing me for just writing code and yeah, through word of mouth, through people that I'd worked with. And, um, yeah, it's actually not until I would say six, six, seven months ago that I even mm-hmm. started doing any kind of marketing. Um, you know, created a LinkedIn page, a Facebook page email marketing and all that kind of stuff. So do you think that that kind of marketing, has that made a, a big difference between your word of mouth kind of, I guess people coming through the door versus people coming through from, you know, actively marketing to them? So, so the answer is yes. Although mm-hmm. I would say that both are, are still important um, okay. because what I find is that say you have a client coming through any, any kind of uh, marketing form, whether yeah. it's just, you know, they've found your website through good SEO. So, so if they come through and on the other hand, if, if an, another client comes through from word of mouth, um, mm-hmm. I actually find that in most cases, it's the client that came through via word of mouth who actually goes through and you actually make that sale. So I find yeah, that word okay. of mouth, you know, um, even though that doesn't, that, that doesn't scale as well, maybe as, you know, um, you know, ads and stuff, that is definitely mm-hmm. still important. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So you've been doing this since 2018, right? Is when you've had your own app studio. So a question that I, I was thinking about this before and I was trying to think how to word it, but I think the best way that I could come up with is that if, you know, right now, 2020, or let's say, you know, New Year, January 2021, and you had to do it again. So, you know, you're going from zero clients to starting your own app studio. What are the steps that you would take now having done like marketing and, you know, word of mouth sales and, and like to your own admission, getting a bit lucky and stuff to start that business and get that first client? Okay. So actually, first of all, I'll just mention that. So um, 2018 was actually when I kind of formalized my app studio, you know, okay. um, you know, at, at that point, um, I did some branding and yeah, recently started marketing and that sort of thing. Yeah. But actually I had been actually running, running an app studio of some sorts mm-hmm. <laughs> since say 2015. Yeah. Um, so that was the period where it was, you know, just through word of mouth and, gotcha, um, yeah. Gotcha. So, so not not as large scale. Okay, so even longer though. Still, that's like nearly five years. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's been a long time, a lot yeah. of work and a lot of effort. But but so to answer to answer your question, what I would do if I could start again. So really, for me, the only well, yeah, there is only one pain point, but it is quite a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, so quite on after I kind of formalized the company and I started hiring, um, mm-hmm. I would say that that I made quite a few mistakes with hiring. So if I could go back, um, it would definitely be to kind of be a lot more rigorous in that mm-hmm. process um you know really vet the people i'm hiring make mm-hmm. sure it's a good fit just just to avoid you know things going wrong further down the line as did happen on some occasions but but you know things happen and you learn and, mm-hmm. and you move on that's interesting so in general right i don't really enjoy the interview process because i feel like a lot of people interview you in a way that would work you know if you were going to be in an office and you're not specifically coding you know any basically they interview like it's any job and then the ones that try and interview technically they interview you and they ask you you know can you build this binary search and do something with a linked list but you're not allowed to use you know the one line solution that you would normally use in real life and so those things i'm like that makes no sense because if i can do it it proves nothing and if i can't do it it also proves nothing so so my question is in terms of the hiring process was it and like i said you don't have to go into details but was it like a, a technical thing that was an issue where somebody said you know they could do something they couldn't or is it like a, a cultural fit and you got someone in and they just didn't work well within the team or, or so, so i would say the mistake i made was so was essentially trying to hire freelancers and so you know that's no offense to freelancers um yeah i of course was a freelancer but yeah. I, I find that freelancers are more tending towards kind of doing their own thing yeah. um in a sense of they particularly chosen to be a freelancer rather than create their own studio yeah. which is fine but i find that that you know they really want to work on their own time and yeah. so it was it was a bit of a hassle trying to make them fit into into company culture whereas you know they were like well i want to work whenever i want to work and yeah. I'll, I'll just get it done and i mean that is fair enough that is one benefit of being a freelancer yeah. but the thing is um when you are working as part as part of a larger team you yeah. do have to you know consider what time the clients are available what time your other teammates are available and that sort of thing yeah. okay so it was essentially based around hiring freelancers to try and get them to fit into that kind of permanent mold. Yeah, exactly. Whereas yeah. now, now I'm typically hiring 
um, employees rather than freelancers. Yeah. So then another question that I had is basically on the freelancer employee point, if you were starting your studio from today, you know, you're starting from scratch, so you have, you know, no money or some savings, whatever. Would you consider starting your business based off freelancers with the fact that, you know, if you have more business, you can hire more freelancers. And if you have no business, you can have no outlay because there's no employees. Or would you still suggest go straight to employees? Um, so what, what I would say um, is that no, I would not start again hiring freelancers. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would do and what, um, what what I've recently done is, you know, um, kind of kind of just handpick a bunch of friends from university, ones mm-hmm. that I know to be hardworking, that love coding, yeah. I literally, I literally just hire them. So because you're already friends, because you already have that history, yeah. things turn out to be a lot more flexible. They, they turn out to be a lot more understanding. So yeah. on that point you mentioned of, you know, if you don't have any work, you don't have to hire any freelancers. That can also work um, if you hire your friends. They're going right. to understand that, you know, you're all, you're all working together, trying to yeah. build this company. And yeah. if one month you don't have any clients, then, then from my experience, they've never turned around and be like, oh, but I still demand this amount of money for this month, yeah, yeah, even yeah. though I've done no work. That's literally it's what I would of, do. It kind of, it's kind of like you're building a startup culture inside the app studio, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes total sense to me. So then another question I have is, and this is just kind of what I'm interested in is, are there any downsides to run in your own app studio and that that could be anything right because it sounds really good right and I, I talk to a lot of people that have like startups and businesses and stuff and obviously they love what they do and you do too but there has to be some things that you're like i don't like doing this or i don't like this <laughs> yes um yeah that is definitely that, that is definitely true and um so actually my answer i guess could be seen as either a downside or upside depending on who you are and, and the way you see it. But okay. that simply is that you are in charge. So as opposed to, to even being a freelancer, um, where, you know, you are still in charge of, you know, getting your own work done and, mm. you know, making sure you have happy clients. So compared to being a freelancer running a studio, you you also have that and you have the pressure of, you know, four or five other employees that, that you're also, you also have to cater for them and, you know, factor them into all the choices you make regarding the company, make sure that they're well taken after and so yeah. on and so forth. So yeah, so, so really that, that's one thing I would say might be seen as a downside. Um, if you don't enjoy, you know, management and leadership and, you know, yeah. really building that culture in a company, then, uh, you know, running your own studio may not be for you. Yeah, that makes sense. So what kind of, um, startups or, or clients or kind of projects do you have or like have you had that kind of interest in? Yeah, sure. Um, so actually, um, we do build a, a wide variety of apps. Mm-hmm. That can range from e-commerce e- um, to sports um, and gambling apps. Mm-hmm. I would say kind of our biggest client to date, um, that is a, a sports gambling app, and mm-hmm. that app is, is called Bet Squad. So, ah. so that's really an app um, which allows you to kind of bet um, with friends on sports. So rather than you know betting against the bookies as as is normally done, you know I can literally send you a bet. Oh, hey Rob, Arsenal are playing Man U today. I want to bet you two pounds that Arsenal are going to win. That builds a lot a lot more social interaction. Um, into yeah. that, which I find really exciting. Was there, was there a bunch of, um, legalities around getting that approved and stuff? Cause I, I worked on an app before for a gambling company. It was some sort of game. And I remember they were serious about everything. You, you had to tell them what SDKs you used and they had to investigate the licenses and all sorts of things. Y- yeah. Yes. It's, there are various holes. Um, you do have to jump through, you know, even yeah. just verifying, you know, against anti-money laundering and things yeah. like that. 
yeah, there, yeah. Are, there are various um, regulations. Yeah, it's crazy. And then another one is being an app studio. Do people come to you and say, you know, build me an iOS app or an Android app or both? Or do they care about, you know, Flutter or React Native or any of those things? Um, so actually, uh, I found that, you know, I've kind of encountered a wide range of clients. Some yeah. clients are themselves developers or, or, or are designers or, you know, right. just run a business and have no idea how apps even work. <laughs> so there are some people that come and say, okay, I want an app built in React Native, which does XYZ. I've already got the wireframes and mockups for it. Um, just build it out, please. And on the other side, there are, you know, business owners that don't, ha- don't have any technical knowledge. And mm-hmm. they just say, I want an app that works on both Android and, and iOS. How yeah. you make it is down to you. What language you use is that is down to you. So yeah, it, it, it's really a mix. Okay, cool. That's interesting. Cause I always wonder that. I feel like it's it's interesting when people come and they say, I want something written in this language, especially when they don't know about it. Because you, you can be pretty certain that they just read that word online and they're like, oh, this is what I need. <laughs> yeah, that does happen quite often. But, you know, that is my job to kind of guide them and say, you know, why do you want this language? Is that really the best one for you or, yeah. or is there a better one? Yeah, that's interesting. All right. So what do you think separates an okay developer from a great developer? Uh, so, so right off the bat, uh, I have to say it's kind of, um, so, so really to me, it comes down to just the quality of code. Mm-hmm. And for me in particular, I find that, that great developers write code in such a way that, that someone can come back a year later or, or even beyond that and still yeah. really understand what that piece of code is, is doing. So they, they've written it, they've written it in, in, in a way that is, that it's, it's almost human readable. And you know, they've left comments and stuff like that to really make sure that not only them, but anyone coming in and looking at that code can really understand it. And I find that in cases where that isn't done, that can cause actual, actual major disruptions. Say someone's ill or, or someone mm-hmm. leaves the company and yeah. someone else has to come in and pick up that work. Um, that, that, yeah. that can be, um, a real pain. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you, do you find, um, that people write code differently when they know that they're working on a team as opposed to when they're working by themselves? <laughs> um, so actually, yes. Um, yeah. um, I'll say for sure. Um, and so actually there are times where, you know, you know, developers have two different ways of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, b- 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 because, you know, we're in a team rather than just kind of write it in their own individual way, I've actually yeah. seen them kind of, you know, come together or like raise it as, as a question as which way yeah. should, should we write it? Just to yeah. make sure that that code is, you know, what's what I'm looking for. Just, just so that rather than have it in two different ways, we have yeah, it in like one unified way. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do we have, do we have brackets or no brackets? Yeah, <laughs> on all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I always, I always find that interesting because it, it always ends up being like the way that you think is probably not how you're supposed to do stuff is how you're supposed to do stuff when you work on a team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Working a team that does definitely add that extra layer um, of thought into coding. Yeah, 100%. Just one other thing I wanted to ask you, because it just popped into my head, is what's the communication process like between you and a client when you're building the whole thing and you're working remotely? Yeah. So again, that also varies. So there is sort of a standard procedure we like to follow, but Mm -hmm. I do find that some clients want to be a lot more involved and some a lot less involved. But typically what happens is that we kind of agree set milestones with with our clients and we say, okay, after we build... Um, X amount of the app or, or XYZ features, we will, you know, get on a call or meet in person and basically um, give you a demo. And, yeah. and once you're approved, we will then move on, on to the next stage. 
Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's kind of how I run, like, fixed-rate projects as well. Like, milestones is a good way to go, and then it keeps everyone in the loop, so. Yeah, agreed. So then the last thing that I want to ask is, um, where can people find you online? Where can people find your app studio and all that good stuff? Yeah, great. So we, we are based in London, although, so we actually work mostly remotely. So mm-hmm. that's, 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 that's one benefit of, of, you know, um, running your own studio. You can yeah. choose to have an office if you want, or you all work remotely. And, and I've chosen to work with, with remotely. And, you know, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we are Ingenious App Studios. I'm sure if you type that in on Google, we should hopefully come up. If, you do, if you've done your job right. Yes, for sure. exactly. <laughs> if I've done my job right, you type it in Ingenious <laughs> App Studios and, and we'll be first in the results. Big thanks to today's guest, Adadeo Omasanya. I really hope I'm saying your name right. You can find him on LinkedIn and you can find his app development studio, Ingenious App Studios, at ingenious-app-studios.co.uk. Finally, if you like the show, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating or a review. You can do that either via Apple Podcasts or via podchaser.com. The link is in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so with a coffee donation at coffeeencodingpod.com slash donate. Caffeine is literally what fuels this podcast. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so on Twitter at LowCarbRob. And if you'd like to connect with like-minded developers and other listeners, you can do so in our Slack community at coffeeencodingpod.com slash Slack. Thank you for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast.